Go ahead and turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 11. Thank you, Leto, for filling that in. Wesley, our uh, worship director, is out of town on a cruise for some reason. Frida's done a great job the past couple Sundays filling in. And Leto came up to me, our youth pastor, and he's like, uh, let's do something for the special next Sunday. I was like, you sing? Nah, I knew that. He told me he was on a full ride choir scholarship. School told him he was going to be the next Bono. I'm joking. He's not that good. <laughs> Woo. There we go. All right. John 11. If you're there, say word. We're going to begin in verse 45. Here at Red Cross, we like to stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. So if you'll stand with me, we'll read the scripture. We're going to finish out John 11 today. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered, gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nations, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know that they might arrest him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what's already been done here this morning. We thank you for the worship and the time of fellowship. And Lord, I pray that you'll open up our hearts to the rest of the worship service as we worship through the preaching of your word. We thank you for this word. We pray that you would help us to understand it this morning. In your son's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. On September 11th, 2001, one of the greatest tragedies in our nation occurred. Hijacked airliners brought down the Twin Towers, taking the lives of many. When my wife and I went to New York City this past year, one of the most sobering places to visit is the 9-11 Memorial. Uh, we went um, at nighttime. It's a, it's a beautiful structure of what they've built over there. And it's just to see the names engraved. Sobering. On September 11, 2001, we saw a divide across the world. It was crazy to see the reactions of the people, which were determined based on re their relationships to those involved. We saw people dancing in the streets far away in celebration towards what had happened. 
Our country did not dance. We grieved. We see this also amongst uh, presidential elections. When one side wins and celebrates, the other side mourns and grieves. Just like our last presidential election, which I think you probably saw it the most. Where you saw one side celebrate when President Trump took office, and then you saw another side um, mourn and, and grieve. We see here in John 11, after Christ had made known to the people who He is through the miracle of raising Lazarus. All right, he, remember last Sunday, we, 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 we looked at John 11, 1 through 44. We looked at how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. That's a big miracle. That's a, that's a big deal. And we see here in, in verse 45 that many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what He did, believed in Him. But some of them went to the Pharisees. We saw a divide. Some believed. They celebrated. They told other people in amazement of what they had witnessed. But others, on the other hand, ran and told the Pharisees what had happened. Thus bringing in this scene that we are seeing today. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are what make up the Sanhedrin. They don't agree on every issue. They clash. In fact, they don't really like each other at times. It's amazing to see what's brought them together here. To work together. To make a decision. We see here in verse 47, they ask the question, What are we to do? Jesus has been recognized as a threat to the Sanhedrin here. I mean, he's, he's gaining followers. They're, they're intimidated by him and they are jealous of him. They say in verse 48, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. I love the words hour in that verse because it shows their motive. They're not concerned about the people of Israel. They're not concerned about their nation. They're concerned about their nation. They're not concerned about the people. They're concerned about themselves. They opposed Christ. And they wanted to do something about it. They didn't like Christ. They didn't like His mission. They didn't like what He has said, and they want to do something about it. Today, today's big idea that I want to show you to, today is this. Man may oppose God's purpose, but they can never stop God's plan. Man may oppose, and I know in your sermon insert it says man my, but it's supposed to say may. Man may oppose God's purpose, but they can never stop God's plan. So let's unpack this here in John 11. All right, are you ready? We're going to look at the Sanhedrin's plan, and then we're going to look at God's plan. So the Sanhedrin's plan. What is it that they're planning to do about this Christ who has stepped into the picture? They are fed up with him. They've been trying to stop him for the past three years. Now understand, even though we're only halfway through the gospel of John, the second half 
covers a short time span. The first 11 chapters covered three years. The second half only covers probably a matter of days. Here we see someone new step into the picture. His name is Caiaphas. He's the high priest. He served as a high priest from AD 18 to AD 36. And this is interesting to know because biblically Jewish high priests are to serve for a lifetime. But Romans did not want to give that much power to somebody. So they stepped in and have said that they'll fire the high priest if they need to, which we see happens in AD 36. We see Romans in their control over the people. But Caiaphas steps in. I remember there's a discussion going on. What are we to do about Jesus? Caiaphas is not a nice man. He's rude. And we see that here in 49 when he tells the people, you know nothing at, at all, nor do you understand. The, the, the Sadducees tend to be rude and snobby. They're upper class people. They think they're better than everybody else. There's some pride issue there. But he steps in and presents an idea. Let's look at verse 49. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Caiaphas presents a plan for the Sanhedrin. Number one, the plan is the death of Christ for physical means. The Sanhedrin's plan is to kill Christ for physical means. He presents the notion to kill Christ. Why? Because they wanted to kill Christ to keep control. They were worried that Jesus was going to step in and cause a revolution that would spark the Romans to step in and destroy their freedom. See, Romans were okay with the freedom of religion as long as it doesn't interfere with Roman rule. They don't want a rebellion. You begin to rebel against Rome, Rome's going to fight back. We've seen that. In fact, we see Rome in the fall of the Jerusalem temple in AD 70. See, the Sanhedrin has heard the rumors that Jesus has come to rescue a people from Roman rule. They know that this was going to be a problem. They were going to kill the Son of God in order to keep Control. Now, do you know anyone like that? Not someone willing to kill the Son of God, but someone willing to sacrifice whatever means necessary to keep control. Can I tell you something? Churches are filled with them. Churches are filled with people who are willing to sacrifice whatever necessary means to keep control. Churches across the nation have people who want control and are willing to do anything to keep it, including firing the pastor. I'm not standing up here trying to keep my job, okay? Nobody's trying to fire me. That I know about. Tom Rayner once said, most of the members, listen... 
Most of the members of dying churches would rather see the church die than change. We'll say that again. Most of the members of dying churches would rather see the church die than change. And why is that? Because they don't want to lose control. Some of you in here have probably been a part of a church at some time in your life that you have noticed people inside the church who are willing to do anything and everything to keep control. We must understand, church, that if you want to be a biblical church, let me not say you, let me say we. If we want to be a biblical church, one that is growing and thriving, we need to understand that we are not in control of the church. I'm going to say something you may not like. Again, this isn't your church. This isn't my church. This isn't our vision. This this isn't a social club. It's the mission of God for the world, and it's His church. And we see the same thing that the Sanhedrins are dealing with in the lives of unbelievers and even some who claim to be believers. They don't want a Christ who takes control. Do you agree? They want to be gods of their own lives. And in church, I'm telling you, we see it even in people who claim to be Christians. They want the title, but they don't want the submission. They want to be in control. They want to be gods of their own lives. But let me tell you something, church. You're not in control of your life. You are not in control of your life. Ask Moses if he was in control of his life. Ask Jonah if he was in control of his life. Jonah, go to the Ninevites and preach the gospel. No, God, I'm not going to go. All right, Jonah, why don't you run? What does God do? He sends a fish, a huge fish, to swallow Jonah. Ask Job. Job, are you in control of your life? (laughs) No. Ask Paul. God will use your life as He sees fit. And His plan always succeeds no matter how hard you try to make yours succeed. I have my own testimony. I'm not going to share it with you right now because I've shared it before. But if you want to know how I came to Red Cross, it wasn't because of my plan. It was God's. I'd love to share that story with you. Come and ask me about it sometime. The Sanhedrin here was not thinking about murder out loud. That would be sin. But now not only are they considering to kill Jesus to keep control, they're trying to justify their sin by claiming to save a nation. You notice people who want to try to keep control. They try to justify what they're doing. I've seen people, let me, I've seen pastors who has had families in their churches try to ruin their pastor's lives intentionally because of what he's preaching on Sunday mornings. And they try to justify it, trying to save the church. No, you're trying to keep control. 
How often do we try to justify our sin? How often do we try to keep control of our own lives, our own will? The Sanhedrin, check this out. You may want to write this down. The Sanhedrin shows us that it is possible to be religious and lost. The Sanhedrin knows God's Word. They're, they're religious people. They're the religious leaders. And do you see the conversation we are taking witness of right now? What are we going to do about the Son of God? Caiaphas says, let's kill him. Let's kill him. We see the plan of the Sanhedrins is to kill Christ for physical means. But man may oppose God's purpose, but they cannot stop God's plan. And this is where I want to go with this. Look at verse 51. This is after Caiaphas says that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. This, I'm hoping, will blow your mind like it blew mine this past week. Verse 51. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Let's talk about that he did not say this of his own accord. What does that mean? It means God has put those words in his mouth to show what he is about to accomplish. You want to see the sovereignty of God? Look at this passage. What man meant for evil, God means for good. You may oppose God's purpose, but you can't stop his plan. These people, the Sanhedrin, hate Jesus. They want to kill Jesus. But God is what the plan is unfolding. Do you see it? We see divine sovereignty and man's responsibility here. We see God's sovereign plan unfolding while man is held responsible for their sin. Do you see it? What Caiaphas plans and what he says here, that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish, is true. It is better for you that one man should die so that the whole nation shall not perish. Why? Look at God's plan number two. God's plan is the death of Christ for spiritual salvation. The death of Christ for spiritual salvation. We see first that God is using the words of Caiaphas to show what he's about to accomplish. All right. You can oppose God's purpose, but you can't stop God's plan. This is God's plan. We see in Acts four that before the foundation of the world, God's plan has been to sacrifice the son of God. Why? For us. So that we may. 
find salvation so that He may pursue us and draw us to Himself so that He may reconcile us to Himself. And we see God's plan unfold here. Verse 51, He did not say this of His own accord, but being high priest, He prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. So the first, God gave His only Son to die so that men can truly live. We have to understand here, church, that the, the men here that are gathering together to oppose Christ, this is God's plan. You can't thwart it. You can't change it. He's sovereign. And God is giving His only Son to die so that men can truly live. We saw that in John 10. I am the good shepherd who, who, who gives His life for His sheep. What we see in John 10 with Jesus saying, expressing that He's a good shepherd, we see in John 11 as Him showing us He's the good shepherd. We see Him raising Lazarus from the dead, foreshadowing what He's going to accomplish in the near future. Understand that the raising of Lazarus from the dead is the last miracle you see in the Gospel of John until the resurrection of Christ from the tomb. God gave His only Son to die so that men can truly live. Jesus would die for the nation. He took our place. If there's anywhere that we can see substitutionary atonement, it's right here. If there's anywhere that we can see Christ taking our place on the cross, it's right here. Jesus would die for the nation. Look at verse 52. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Number The second one, under number two. God gave His only Son to be broken so that the church can be united. Christ was broken on our behalf to gather together the church as a whole. What, is, what, what does John mean here? And not for the nation only. What he's saying is it's not for Israel only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Who's scattered abroad? The rest of the church, the Gentiles. This is the new covenant about to take place. Christ is dying to gather into one the children of God. He is to be broken so that the church can be united. That's beautiful. Verse 53, so from that day on, they made plans to put Him to death. What they mean for evil, God means for good. Remember the story of Joseph in Genesis. We see God's sovereignty and man's responsibility falling right here. Verse 54, Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there He stayed with the disciples. Now I kind of want to just show something here. I'm just, I, I may be speaking into the text, maybe that's a little dangerous, but... What we see here is Christ is leaving the people who oppose Him 
and staying with the people who love him. See, Christ does not want to be any part. This is what I want to say here, too. I would like to say that this is even to the church. Do you think Christ wants to be a part of a church that opposes him? And let me tell you, a church will oppose Christ and not know it. Do you think the church, do you think Christ wants to do that? Whenever we see doors close in the word of God, church doors close, whenever we see church doors close in the word of God, it's because of judgment on that church. Christ will stay with those who love him. Verse 55, that was a little, you know, that was free. You know, if you want to write that down. Verse 55. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Let's stop there. If you want to circle the Passover, this is awesome. I love how John brings details into the story. Remember, every time we see festivals and meals coming up, John uses those importantly. All right. The Passover. Why does he mention that here? Well, because really the Passover was at hand. It's coming up. But. Christ is the Passover lamb who takes our place on the cross. Christ is the Passover lamb who takes our sin and shame, who died to give us life and who was broken to unite us. That's why John mentions that here. that's, That's just awesome. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were to purify themselves from any ceremonial uncleanness that would present that would prevent them from celebrating the Passover. They had to repent. They would have to cleanse themselves. The third one under God's plan for the death of Christ. God gave his only son to be sin so that men may be purified. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So we see through this passage, we see God's plan unfold, and we see that even though you oppose God's purpose, you cannot stop His plan. We see that God works through the evil of men to accomplish His plan. That is sovereignty right there. History is filled with the record of those who oppose Jesus in his gospel. It's filled with them. And they're gone. But his gospel and the church remain. So, What are some applications we can take away from this? First one, it never pays to oppose God. (laughs) Can we just say that clearly? It never pays to oppose God. Do you want to be on the Creator's side or do you want to be against Him? It never pays to oppose Him. Secondly, Scripture is filled with divine sovereignty and man's responsibility. 
We trust in His sovereign plan as we are responsible for our sin. We see here these men who are planning to kill Christ. This is sin to them. This is murder. And they're going to be held responsible for it, but God sovereignly is using this for His plan to unfold. We can never take the two apart. We see this in salvation. God is sovereign over salvation. Man is responsible. God calls, draws, He saves. Man is to respond. So church, my question to you this morning, are we a church who opposes God's purpose? Or are we a church who wants to trust in God's plan? Because we need to understand that the, the Sanhedrin here, they opposed God. Even though they were religious, even though they claimed to follow Him, they opposed Him. Church. We must understand that God is in control and we must understand that this is His church and we must understand that this, we are to take part in His plan. This is not about our plan. This is not about our plan. This is not about what you or I want to see this church become. We want to trust in the mission of God according to God's word. We want our church to become a biblical church. And if we do anything that is apart from Scripture, if we think of doing anything that's apart from Scripture, we shouldn't. We mustn't oppose God's purpose. So, to the unbeliever, to the unbeliever who has probably sought to keep control of their own life, to the unbeliever who, who wants to remain a God of their own world, to the unbeliever who has a hard time trusting in the sovereignty of God, will you trust Him today? Will you trust Him today that God graciously, mercifully loves us and pursues us and grabs our hearts and transforms our life unconditionally. He sees nothing good in you. But He wants to be the good in you. So to the unbeliever, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith and trust in the Son who came to die so that we may live? In the Son who came to be broken so that we may be united? In the Son who, who became our sin so that we may be purified and cleansed and saved? To the believer... My question to you is this. Just as the Sanhedrin asked the question, what are we to do with Christ? My question to you is, what are you going to do with Christ? God has a mission for the church. The mission is Matthew 28, to go into all the world and to proclaim the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Are we accomplishing that? To the believer, are, are, are you pursuing God in your own personal life? Are you pursuing your personal holiness with God? Are you, are you repenting of sin? To the believer, are you trusting in God's plan? Or do you keep trying to make it your own? Understand that after John 11, we see the crucifixion come about. This is God telling us that His plan is unfolding. But church, here's the thing. His plan has never stopped unfolding. His plan is unfolding today as we speak. Are you going to take part in it? Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. God, we pray that as we go into this time of invitation that You would grab our hearts and help us to see Your truth. God, if we are opposing Your purpose this morning, I pray that You would change us and, and not make us like the religious of the Sanhedrin, but to make us more like You. Help us to trust Your plan. Help us to know that Your plan will always win you never fail. So God, I pray that as we go into this time that you would help us to see if there's any sin within our lives because it's, it, our sin opposes you. Help us to be rid of it. Convict us of it. Help us to repent of it. God, we love you. We thank you for sending your son to be broken, to die, to be sin for us. God, we thank you that you are a victorious God and that we can trust in your sovereign plan. We ask all this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.